You're listening to Real Investor Radio with Craig Fuhr and Jack Bevere, where we cover advanced real estate investing topics to help you stay ahead of the curve in your real estate investing business. Well, hey, welcome to Real Investor Radio. I'm Craig Fuhr with Jack Bevere. Jack, how are you today? Doing great, man. Good to see you this morning. Merry Christmas, my friend. Likewise, likewise. You were struggling with the, uh, with the creeping crud over the holidays. You're feeling better now? I am. I am. I feel like uh, half the office caught it last week and was uh, tr tr limping into the, the holiday weekend, but uh, coming out of it much better. Well, if your Christmas was anything like mine, Jack, uh, I have a very loud Italian family. So it was actually just good to get back to work just to get some relaxation, frankly. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want you to, you to hear that, but um, man, it is like a chore when you get uh, 25 Italians in a room who all want to talk over each other. So that was my Christmas. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure yours was not like that. It was good. We had lots of good family time, made the rounds, did like three straight days, you know, morning, afternoon, mo or morning, night, morning, night, morning, night at different places. So we were torn around, ate very well. Uh, you know, need to hit the gym a little bit after that in the wake of it. But that's what not, that's was the big the Christmas course. gift, Jack? What did, what did Santa bring you that you were excited about this year? Anything? You know what? My wife and I stopped doing gifts a year or two ago. We just, you know, decided to travel a little bit more and uh, kind of de-emphasized uh, the stuff. We have actually done a bunch of like purging of like our things just to like really try to get as minimalist as possible on stuff. So um, we're uh, we're taking a trip to St. Thomas next week. I'm looking forward to that. I guess you could call that our impromptu kind of Christmas uh, trip to our Christmas gift to each other. That's awesome. Experience over the, over the material, Jack. You try to tell that to a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old, and they look at you like you're three. You don't, you don't need another sweatshirt, but we would love to have some experiences with our children these days. So yeah, well, that's the struggle. But um, dude, we're coming into the sort of last episode of the podcast for the year here, the last couple. And uh, folks, uh, we've been talking to a lot of investors over the last few weeks about their plans for 24. Um, sort of goal planning and uh, your, uh, your idea for the episode today. I loved it was sort of, uh, you know, let's take a look at 24, how we're going to be better, some of the tools that we use, goal setting. Um, so yeah, man, why don't you kick us off with that and sort of tell me what you're thinking in terms of 24 planning and uh, some of the tools that you guys use, some of the vendors that you all use um, just to be better in the business. Yeah, sure. So we, you know, as we've grown Dominion, we, I, I, I've noticed a, I've noticed a shift in the way that we do goal, uh, like goal setting and year end planning that I think has been really positive that I wanted to kind of accentuate. I think that there's every, every you know, if you're not setting goals, Hey, like you should be right. Everyone, you know, but I feel like everyone knows that or that's, that's not high value add. Um, I would say for the first five, maybe even 10 years of, uh, of our company, we set, we would do goal planning, you know, year, year in planning and goal setting rather for the, for the next year. And they were largely quantitative in nature. Mm -hmm. It was how many houses are we going to buy next year? How many loans are we going to make? Uh, how much do we want to grow the team? Very, you know, uh, you know, whether it was top line or bottom line, it was very quantitative. And then we, you know, and then we, we, as we got better at it, we would break that down to like, Hey, what are the operational things necessary to actually achieving those quantitative goals? But 
at the, you know, kind of in retrospect after, you know, maybe five, 10 years of that, we looked back and realized that we were just talking ourselves into working harder each year, right? Mm -hmm. Because we were ambitious people and we wanted to do more. It was fun to hit our goals and then to see what we could do next year. And we got better at it each year. So it was feasible for us to, to, uh, you know, to, to increase our goals, but it wasn't building the company. Like that goal setting was not growing the, growing the enterprise value was the word that we started to use for it of the business. Um, because it was just, it ended up just being, Hey, how good are we at doing the particular revenue or top line producing things, you know, business development things that, that, you know, in, in this case, Fred and I were responsible for respectively. And sort of and, how, how much incrementally better can we get to reach those quantitative goals? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but at the end of the day, we, it was, it, it ended up being like personal goals mm-hmm. and when our personal goals are how many houses we're going to buy, how many loans we're going to do almost definitionally, right? What that infers without being said is that I'm the acquisitions guy. I'm the loan originator and that we are the revenue producing employees, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're the people who have to do that. And I feel like that is a place where a lot of, of real estate investors are. It, and and frankly, it's where you have to start. I also yep. think it's like this isn't a criticism. Like that's just that's where you that 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 is what you need to do at the beginning. Those are the most crucial things. And frankly, you can't afford to yeah to hire that. I um, love the uh, the gurus that stand on stage, full well knowing that they're talking to ninety percent of people who are solopreneurs. and they're just preaching this. Got to take off all the hats. You got to just do your highest and best, which is great, but. When you're just starting out and you don't have the capital to go out and hire the best personnel, um, yeah, you're going to wear a lot of hats. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You're gonna, yeah, you're going to wear a lot of hats. And while it's true, like, I, you know, what something that a couple of tools that I wanted to like emphasize today or talk about today are tools that we started to use that actually enabled us to start making that shift. And by the way, it was it was never a one year shift. It was like a multi-year it took you know many years to transition to make that transition um because you have to afford it right you have to afford that all that backfilling that the the gurus are telling you to do so that you can actually start to have a company and not just uh, you know a cult of personality sure. um, can you can you before we jump into the tools mm-hmm. can you talk about some of those uh, qualitative um assessments that 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 you know what what specifically are you speaking of when you talk about the sort of qualitative versus quantitative yeah sure so i think that um you know i I think a first order one is you know documentation of systems and processes but i I think that thing is that 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 idea has been beat to a you know that that horse has been beaten badly over the years everyone knows that yes you have to have systems and processes yes you have to document your system and processes so that you can hire and train people on those yes we know everyone knows so like that's and and I believe that to be true and it's incredibly important. It's a gating issue to mm-hmm. growing your company. So but but I don't want to belabor that because I think everyone already knows about it. Um something that and, and that's where we originally emphasized and then we did it and then we were like okay cool like now I got a handbook but 
it, like it didn't, I, it. I didn't like nothing happened. Right. Like I, I just, I just had a handbook that I would have to then, I just added more work to somebody, right. That I had to like pay someone to then document their systems and processes. And now they were documented and maybe onboarding was a little bit easier, but it was certainly no springboard for growth. Um, it was a, it was a necessary part of the foundation for growth, but it was not a springboard for growth. Sure. Um, so a couple of the things that, that we've, uh, that, that really, um, helped us to actually move forward. Um, we started, uh, and this is just an example. There's many examples, right? So I'm not suggesting that this is like a, you know, a catch all or like, it's not a playbook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, so we started, there's the book called traction. I think a lot of investors know about traction. If you don't, I highly recommend that you read it. Traction is a book that outlines, uh, a model for operating small business in any realm it's very ap- applicable to, to, to small real estate businesses, but frankly, you could use it for just about any business. Um, and that's this EOS model, entrepreneurial operating system model. And that, um, and the, the business model, by the way, there was always a business model behind these, this stuff, right? The business model behind selling you this model is that there are integrators that act as consultants who come in and help you take your solopreneur business and, uh, and, and walk you through the EOS model to do it, to show you how to do it. Um, we never did that. Maybe we should have, I don't know. I read the book, right? I read the book. I read the book again. And then I just acted as our integrator and, um, we took from it what we wanted to, we didn't take everything. Um, Mm -hmm. but we, we, you know, we, we took the things that we thought were, would make the biggest impact. I'm sure that the, the um the event the attraction evangelists will tell me that I'm leaving good stuff behind and I should really take a second look at incorporating everything. But hey, what we did was was just um I, t- I took you know a number of the concepts from that and um late you know m- made that the way that we operated the business. The biggest we were, things were, were well, shorter. Wanna, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. If yeah. I may, uh, that was that was a while ago, Jack, that, that was like 2016 yeah. for you, 2015, 16. And you've still been, um, implementing the EOS strategies that you read back in 2015. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we implemented it. It made such a big difference, frankly, to my daily life, just like keeping things organized, yeah. getting rid of the surprises. Um, Man, the surprises are what, like, personally for me, like, just kill me. Like when I'm when I find out as a surprise that something when I that something isn't going well or that something wasn't being done, that just like destroys my morale as like an owner of the company, right? Because then I can't sleep because I don't know what because all of a sudden the fear, the fear, the, the fear and doubt of I don't know what I don't know that's crippling, right? Like. I can handle all kinds of bad news. Like you wake up and I get an email and there's bad news, whatever. But like it, but it's the surprise internally that it like just destroys me. And so this, you know, I think incorporating a lot of the process or a lot of the, uh, the tools and techniques, which is really just like, it's, it's about meetings. It's about, it's about setting, setting goals of varying timeframes, really stepping, walking back those goals and breaking them down into their component parts. So you really mm-hmm. create a roadmap from them. And then, uh, producing, measuring, measuring everything that your company does and have, and putting a number to 
pretty much everything that your people do uh, for you, yourself included. Um, and then watching those numbers over time, um, it takes it t- it took a, a a couple years actually. I wouldn't like that. That's what I wanted to ask you. So you and I don't know many people in the business, Jack, who haven't read the book Traction. There's that that book has been widely adopted, at least yeah. picked up and read. And so the question I have uh, that I know that that folks who have read it who have not yet adopted uh, must be asking is, you know, it, there takes there's some serious growing pains in adopting sort of the EOS regimen, right? Um, and and for those who are just taking a small piece like like you did it here at Dominion um, versus those who go out and hire an integrator, there's still going to be a significant amount of growing pains in adopting. Uh, these meetings, yes. It's funny you say that. I think that there are growing pains for certain certain personality types, and there and it's um, and it's welcome religion for others. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there are a lot of I think that there are a lot of visionary prof, like personality profiles that would call this painful, and and that'll get me to. I, I don't want to jump ahead to the to the another, the other tool that I really want to talk about today, but. Uh, but the, it has to do with you know recognition and, t- and a vocabulary to talk about different personality types sure. um, that, that is actually actionable. Um, but I feel like uh, I, I think that the uh, you know the um, what's the book that talks about the the classic visionary integrator combo? I don't know. There is a there's, there's, the, the listeners will know. Um, the um, so there's this like classic um, there's this classic combo that in in many entrepreneurial organizations when you look back that, that are high performing where there is a there is a visionary and there's an integrator and they work very well together they tend to be you know at the top of the organization but if you just have a visionary and you have no integrator then you create a hot mess and if you have just an integrator and no visionary well you have a lifestyle business that doesn't but it doesn't grow right like it it, it runs tight but it's small um, and so to have both, right, to have a growth company that also runs well, you really have to have two different kinds of people, right? You have to have, you definitionally need multiple people in leadership to have a company that both grows and still runs well. And, operates, and right. the relationship between those two people ends up being like the, 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 the magic, the secret sauce, right? That, 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 um, that, that allows organizations to really take off, um, in in our in our capacity, uh, you know, we're not the highest growing company by by any stretch of the imagination. But we just so happen to have my partner Fred as the visionary, and I happen to be more of an integrator personality profile. And mm-hmm. so that was a complete accident. It just we had no idea when we you know when we started working together, we just thought like, oh, I'm different than this guy, and he but he's smart, and you know, but like vice versa. Um, and we just started working together, and it just you know, turns out that we happened to like put that accidental formula in place that has been well documented as like something that we should have known was happening, but we the didn't. Book by, the book, by the way, Jack, is Rocket Fuel, I think. Is yes, the one thank you. Thank you, Rocket Also Fuel. by Gino Wigman, the guy who wrote um, Traction. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, I digress. But um, I think that my point being that if you're, a vision, if, you're, if you're a visionary who is running a hot mess, you know, I'm being very crass, right? But like he's running a hot mess and you know it, you need to get yourself an integrator. Like that's what you need. And because you're not going to, you're not, you, you read traction and you like the ideas on it and then nothing ever happened. 
because, you know, because you went back in and that's your personality. Your personality is not to dig back in there. And so I think that the the business model around traction to have these third party consultants come in as integrators and roll out traction in your organization, you'll see a shot out of the gun, you know, out of the cannon of of improvement because you've outsourced your integrator. But then as soon as that guy's contract is up, that girl's contract's up sure. and they're not part of your organization on a regular basis, it'll you'll slot you'll start sliding back. Like you you 100% will start sliding back. You need to have you need to hire someone who's going to be that integrator within the organization on a consistent basis to keep it up. And to them, it's not a growing pain. To them, it's just, okay, cool. These are the rules. It's liberating like, for people like that. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's some, there's some, um, you know, there's some, there's some religion to, to stick to. Like, you know, it's not just, we're going to run everything off of feel and emotion. Um, so anyway, that, that just, that's a long digression to your comment, but I couldn't help myself. Can I ask you this? Um, so I've met some great visionaries in the business uh, who did not have integrators. I've also met uh, visionaries in the business, very successful investors, who hired an integrator, Jack, but they didn't empower the integrator. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, there's always been a relationship between you and Fred where you felt very empowered to, um, you know, as a partner and, and sort of run the business. <clears throat> with with a common vision but as your role at dominion has evolved and you become busier and busier jack there had to come a time where even you had to have integrators below you um, folks who you had to not only hire but empower to uh you know to carry out the vision that that uh, i think you have in your role as well correct yeah absolutely and, and so uh, what, does that, what does that feel like for a guy who has been so in control of almost you know, every aspect of the business to have to let that go and really, and really give that person who you feel is a proper fit for the role, you know, that power to sort of carry out the mission? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that the... Um... I think that that's a, uh, what, what, what's necessary there is building up of trust, right? Yeah. Um, the reason that, you know, Fred, Fred didn't let me start running stuff right away. We worked together for several years. You know, we worked together for a year on acquisitions before I was making offers by myself. And I was a kid at the time, like the, even that was early. Um, sure. And uh, so I feel like that trust is built over, over some period of time. And somebody who, and so like the earlier that you can bring that integrator in and try them out and start to build that trust and just put them next to you. What, what Fred did with me was he just put me in the car. I, I was, I drove while he was sitting in the passenger seat talking on the phone and I just watched him conduct business for sure. a year. And I just, as soon as he got off the, I'd be listening. He put the phone on speaker and I'd hear the whole conversation. And then we would be driving to wherever we're driving to. And I'm just asking questions like constantly, right? Just, just learning and soaking up as much as I possibly can. And, and then, you know, and giving feed, you know, giving comments, mostly asking questions though, just to get, you know, just to, to get his take on things. And I think that, so he was really my mentor in, in that respect and taught me everything that I, absolutely everything that I, that I know about the business. Um, and 
through that process, <clears throat> through that process, he be began to trust my judgment because he understood that I was like thinking intently, you know, think, you know, thinking as deeply as I could about all of the issues and was going to then go act based off of everything, all the training that he had given me. And I think that that's a great way to do it. Um, to just put the integrator in the car with you and have them just shadow you for a long period of time. Now that's a difficult thing when your integrator wants to get paid $150,000, right? Like, sure. and you're trying, you're running a three person organization, five person organization, and you got somebody who comes in and they want to be, they, they, you know, they, you think they're the right fit, but they're also expensive. Like that's a problem, right? You can't have them down like that for a long period of time. So I also think that like from a practical point of view, we also got lucky because I was 23 at the time. And so I was cheap. Um, <laughs> and so, and, and that was fine, right? Like I needed very money hungry. in rent. What's that? Cheap and very hungry. So like it was a yeah. perfect combination. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so my point being that it's a, it's a trust, it's a trust building exercise. And I have endeavored to bring in, we have as a company, not just me, all of the managers, we've endeavored to bring in other integrators into positions of authority. And then as they've gained our trust, we're, we, we let the, you know, let the leash out, right? Like need to be involved in fewer decisions. Don't need to run it by me as much. Like it's, you know, it now there's a, there's a process there though. It's not, it's never day one. They never sure. hit the ground. In my experience, they never hit the ground running. There's always a at least six month process, more like a year and a half before uh, where they're just asking you questions about the business until they understand the perspective. And, and then they have to trust you, right? That you actually know what the hell you're talking about, right? There's a two-way street here. If you want a good integrator, they're smart. And so like they, you have to earn their trust that they actually think that your vision is a valid one and that you're not just leading us down the wrong path because they have no interest in wasting their time with, with that. Right. Yeah. So that, that takes, that takes a while, um, to build that trust. I, I don't want to mention the folks by name who are one of the, one of the best integrator slash visionary combos, uh, that I've seen in the business, but, um, uh, I'm sure you probably have heard of both, but, um, the, the point here is that, I think oftentimes the visionary can be very, the kite flying in the wind, right, Jack? I've, you know, they've got a mission, they're running a company, they're being pulled in a million different directions, and they have a lot of really great ideas at the same time. And so uh, great integrators, I think often when they're empowered to be their best selves, often sort of act as that, you know, hand on the kite, right? They're, they're, they're holding the kite down. Um, uh, they're 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 pushing back on business ideas that you know maybe tangential to sort of what the business really is, or maybe even a lark. Um, you know, a lot of visionaries, uh, you know, a lot of great entrepreneurs, Jack, wake up with great ideas that they want to implement immediately, and sometimes it's not the right time and it's not the right idea for the business. And I think great integrators, when they're empowered, have the ability to push back. They're not just they're. The best integrator for me is not a yes person. Right? Yeah, definitely the case. Completely agree with that. Um, they have to be able to to go, you know, go to share the vision, but go toe to toe in terms of saying like yes, but that's not what we should. But but tomorrow, so, but to achieve yes, we need to do this and this and this. Not no. It's never no. Right? <laughs> like if you if you if you get a no integrator though. 
and that and that's the, I think the, an important balance is is um, like yes, I you know if it's a good idea, right? If it's a crappy idea, hey, you beat the crappy idea up and it dies. But the visionary understands that it's a crappy idea if you just prove to them that it's unexecutable, right? Because they all they mm-hmm. want to do is win, you know. So like if you show if you if you explain to them how this is not a winning path, they they're off of it, right? But just because it's a difficult path or it's not a direct straight line, you know, don't you don't you you don't approach that visionary with no. You approach that visionary with yes, and to do that, we're going to need to do this and this and this and this and this in this order. Mm-hmm. And so let's get started, right? Um, if you or think maybe it, ra- or maybe wrap up some of these other things that were that were priorities on the plate, and then we'll get to that great idea. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like you know, yes, and you know, we have these other things that that are you know equally important. How do we want to rank these things? You know, like we're how do we want to let's 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 break this down and set priorities. We have a particular amount of bandwidth. And we have a particular amount of things that we want to get done. Let's rank them, uh, and then if there's something that's on there on the list that's just not going to get done yet, but it's worth getting done. All right, let's talk about allocating resources to it. You know, like and where are we going to get these resources, both human and capital, to go accomplish this goal? Um, so like the yes and conversation, I think goes, you know, much better. I, I'll also put fault, like every, visionaries get, always get the bad rap, right? They always get, you know, labeled as the, the, the flighty one. The integrators though, if you're a no integrator, well, then you're not going to get, they're, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to hand you the keys. The visionary is not going to trust you with the keys because they know what they're going to get out of you. A no, they're, you're mm. just, they're, they're not going to want to share their ideas with you because you're a buzzkill, right? Like they right. come to you with a, with a great idea they get really excited about and you just tell them, no, that's a buzzkill, dude. Like no one wants to work with that person. Mm. So like, I think integrators sometimes or the wrong integrators, right? The ones who shouldn't be in the C-suite, so to speak, um, are the ones that, or, or at least an example of them are the ones that, um, that can't, uh, that just dig their heels in and can't figure out a way to yes. And they just want to know, you know, or they just want to quote unquote, no. Um, and that's a, that's, that's unproductive. It's unhealthy. And then the visionary ends up getting frustrated and fires this person because they start battling with each other because you just say no to everything they want to do. And they're like, screw this. This isn't any fun anymore. Right. Like, like, like I don't, you know, the visionary doesn't want to do it if it's not fun, you know, like you like to go do stuff. Have you run into that, Jack, in, over the past several years? Yeah, I've, I've witnessed it at I've witnessed it at other companies a fair amount. I've had I've hired the wrong integrators a couple times um, where I was trying to backfill myself out, and I got uh, you know too much no, and I just you know I ended up I ended up getting frustrated myself, right? Like I'm 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 kind of an integrator, and if you know I just couldn't get this person on board, or it's either like no, it can't be done, or it's all fucked up, right? Like, you, you know, or you get this feedback that like, it's just, it's too much of a mess. We can't do, we can't move forward at all. And, you know, when, when I just don't believe that that's true, right? Like you have to be able to live with some imperfection and growth. You cannot grow at 99% efficiency. If you, if you wait until 99% efficiency to grow, the, you'll never grow, right? Like 85 is frankly good enough to grow. Like we need people backfilling and making it better and getting it from 85 to 96. But at 96, who cares, right? Like mm-hmm. if you can't make money at 96, it was a crappy idea that, you know, like it's not about execution. If you've gotten it to 96% good, um, the idea wasn't good enough. Work on something else. Right. Uh, so like, you know, I, I feel like, uh, got enough, uh, en- enough high A in me to, uh, to try to try to draw those distinctions. 
So we'll get into sort of um, how you find the right uh, person for the for the seat uh, in a bit. But uh, tying up traction with a BoJack, um, as I look at the growth of Dominion over the last several years, um, I would love to know where you rank implementing traction uh, and the EOS in terms of importance in the growth that you've experienced. I would put it in top three. I would say documenting our systems and processes, traction, or the EOS model rather itself, mm-hmm. um, you know, what we took from the EOS model. And I would say the, the, like one of the most important things from doc, that, that EOS model was the uh, putting a number to every activity in the company, um, like figuring out a way to measure every activity, put a number to it so that we could see it over time. Um, and man, three years after we implemented it, I realized that I was still, you know, that I was, I'd I'd missed some stuff, right? Like Mm. whenever I got surprised by something that wasn't going well, Mm. it was the thing that I wasn't measuring, right? Like if you're measuring it, you never get surprised, but the thing that's going, so, so it, but it took several years for me to uncover all the things that we should be measuring. And I used the bar being that if I found out, if, if I was surprised with bad news, I should have been measuring it. And if I had been measuring it, I wouldn't have been surprised with bad news. Bad news. So whenever my blood pressure went up through the roof, the, the, the problem was not what, what happened. The problem was that I wasn't measuring that thing for the past three years. And if I had been, then my blood pressure would never be where it is right now. Yeah. One of the things that I uh, love about uh, the traction model is that it, if you're doing it correctly, it forces you to have the difficult conversations, which is another great book, Difficult Discussions, I think it's called. Um, and you can't, you can only, look, if you want to get better and you don't want to be surprised and you don't want to have your blood pressure go up, you have to address the big rocks, the, all of the big problems in, the, in, in a company and all of the big opportunities and all those things. You have to put a, a quantitative uh, number on each of those, and then you have to address them routinely. And I think that's one of the things that Traction does with the meetings um, that you have. They don't allow you to sort of keep sweeping all of the problems under the rug if you're doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. 100%. Right. 100% agree to that. Yeah. And then when you have, and then in addition to that, as you start to grow the company, you start to have people in place that are empowered to bring those issues up. Rather than, oh, I'm sitting at the table in the C-suite and I don't want to bring up the big issues because the spotlight will be on me. No, the traction is sort of an open forum for bringing up those things, which I, which I really love. And I think you guys have really adopted. Yeah. 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 So um, uh, we got about 15 minutes left in this episode. One of the other things that, uh, that we've touched on here, but not really directly, is Putting the right person in the seat, you said that when you and Fred got together, it was just kismet that he happened to be a great visionary and you were, uh, you know, a really smart integrator. I an think accidental integrator. Yeah. And, yeah. I think there's a part of you that's quite the visionary as well, Jack. But, um, but talk about um, how you all have adopted the cultural index uh, as a sort of a behavioral assessment model. Um, for the folks who you've been hiring over the last several years. Because one of the things that I find fascinating about the growth of the company is that there's a lot of people who were here in 2015 and 16 who are still here, 
and they've grown with with the growth of the company. They were integral to the growth of the company. And so when you look back at an HR manager or uh, you know a guy who's been sitting in the loan department for a long time at DFS, you know, if when you're looking at those people, was it accidental that you hired just the right people for the right spot, or did you think you were that good at at, at assessing uh, talent when you brought them in? Yeah. Uh, so if we when we got the right person in the right chair prior to implementing this personality survey system, which I'll talk about. Yeah. Uh, there was a complete accident. And um, then when we used the personality assessment, it was confirmatory that, oh, we got that one right. And we got that one right. And we got that one right. But we got a bunch of the other ones wrong. And they all just organically didn't work out. Just fizzled out. They just, right. yeah, it all just, those, those seats turned over. Right. And um, so, I would say, you know, I always had a, I always, I always had a difficulty in, um, or a, a, a struggle with hiring, a struggle with talking about people, um, in that there's, I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of, or I was raised knowing my dad used to talk about Myers Briggs when I was like 11 years old in the car on the way to school and like mm. to, on the way to go get Chinese food. Like my dad was a, like loved personality tests. He thought it was the coolest thing. So he taught me, taught me about Myers Briggs. He taught me about disc when I was a kid, like a little kid. And I was raised, you know, knowing, you know, knowing my, my personality profile and, and talking about those differences. But as I went through, you know, as I went through school and went through business school and got into the workforce, I just like, they didn't seem specific enough to me mm. to be actionable. Yeah. And they, they seemed like an academic indulgence as opposed yeah. to something that I could actually deploy as a, a decision-making tool. Exactly. And hmm? yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so, you know, I never found a whole lot of use for them. Um, and, <clears throat> and as a result, uh, when we would hire, we would, you know, try to use what we found to be best practices in terms of, you know, cover letter or no cover letter. And like, do you hire based off of experience? How do let's define culture? Like, you know, you know, alignment with the company's core values and, you know, having multiple people do the part of the hiring process. And we tried to align, you know, based off of all of these, you know, quote unquote, best practices. And yet, we would still have, you know, and, and yet, you know, six months in, we would be like, this guy's just not working out. This, you know, this woman's just not working out. Like, what just did we get wrong? And, sure. and how do we put our, and, or a situation would get put in front of them and they would react to it. They were very trained. They knew exactly, they were very trained. They were very experienced. They were, they were very smart people. You know, we were appropriately paying for the position and yet they handled it in a way that I would never have handled it that way. Mm. And that would just, and my, my head would explode and, and I would have this awful thought, which was, what is this person's malfunction? Like, what is wrong with this person? And, and then they, then they would end up not working out. Right. And we were like, ah, oh, you chalk it up to like, oh, we had the, you know, the right person in the wrong chair or the right chair in the wrong person, whatever. Like, and you know, we'd say some, some word and then try again. And, um, so I got, uh, I got introduced to. Uh, this personality survey called Culture Index, 
And there is a very similar one called Predictive Index. They're two different companies using very similar math um, behind this personality survey. And uh, they have different business models. Culture Index uses more of a uh, consultant basis. They charge consulting fees to help you implement the model. Um, and we've gone that direction. That was very helpful for us. Predictive Index is um, a little bit more... Um, a little lower price point. Uh, the math is just as good. You get a little bit less help implementing it though. So you really have to have that person who's really into it to like dig in and understand and then train everybody else. Yeah. So and that's, yeah. that's a heavy lift for like, for certain, you know, that's, a, that's a heavy lift sometimes. Yeah. Um, for the, so let me just explain quickly, Jax, for, for those of who, who have heard of these two assessment tools, but haven't necessarily used them. Um, it's really uncanny uh, when you sit down to take the predictive index or the cultural index. You're just looking at words and you're picking out words that's, that, that resonate with who you are, essentially. And it takes about six or seven minutes. And the predictive index has been, has been shown to be like 98% accurate historically over the entire time that it's been around. In fact, it's one of the only tools that can be used in hiring and firing uh, for EEOC purposes, um, hmm. I've, I've read. Uh, that said, what you get with each one of these assessments is a pretty big printout of the person. Um, and what you're speaking to is, you know, hiring a consultant to come in and basically help you interpret uh, that assessment and sort of finding the right fit uh, for the person and the seat, correct? Yeah. So the, um, they, they have you uh, take the survey. Well, sorry. So you start as an employer, right? If you're going to use it in an HR context, mm -hmm. a hiring context for HR, you, um, you start with the, the job description and the hiring manager who, you know, or, you know, the owner of the company hiring manager says, fills out a survey. And then based off of like, Hey, the, the ideal person you're looking for, for this position, you know, and, and so you, it's called it, they call it a C job. The, the, the words don't matter. Um, but, uh, you basically create a typified profile from the job. So you say like, Hey, for this position, after you take the survey, they say, all right, you're looking for one of these three personalities, uh, uh traits. Yeah. Types. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and then you, and, and then you say, all right, I'm looking for uh, they have different you know terms for it. I'm, I'm looking for a technical expert for that, uh, for that position. And, then resumes start coming in. And as part of the resume process, you take this survey when you apply. So um, you have to submit your resume and take the survey, which I've actually, by the way, found to be a great screener because if you're not willing to spend seven minutes and take my, my personality survey, like you just want to blast resumes everywhere. I'm not that into, you know, you, you're not that, you're not, a, you're not that into me as they say. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and you, and you've made it very clear. You weren't willing to invest seven minutes in my personality survey. So I can probably discard those, those folks anyway, um, or would want to discard those folks anyway. It's a small barrier to entry, but anyway, so you take this personality survey and if you're, if you come up as a, as a completely different tip personality profile than what is typified for this position, don't we don't, don't look at the resume like you because the problem is that you will fall in love with the resume they mm. worked for a competitor it was the biggest thing that always got me i would i would you know i would see somebody who was working for a, pro a big property management company you know not a direct competitor but like you know in a related field 
And I would be like, ah, this person's got like, you know, very relevant experience. And then I'd get on an interview with them. And the whole time, subconsciously, I'm just talking myself into this person, right? Because I just, I want that Morgan Properties experience or, you know, you know, Morgan Property Management experience um, on my staff, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so we end up just talking ourselves into uh, you know, the wrong person. humans as we are, we tend to talking ourselves into the person and, and they're also, they're giving us a biased view of themselves. We've got a biased view when we go into it. Cause we looked at their resume and what I'm supposed to spend, like, you know, whether it's 30 minutes or multiple interviews, or you do a bunch of rounds or come have them come in for a, a shadow day, whatever, like it's all an audition. Right. And, um, what, one of the things that, um, that these personality surveys will espouse is that, you know, people can behavior modify a lot. They can modify their behavior to fit a situation. Everyone can be, you know, everyone can be very talented in that regard, can be very talented in that regard and put on a completely different outward, uh, you know, in, 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 you know, persona in a given situation, but you are yourself when you are alone and when you are stressed, then in those two situations, you are yourself. And if you're looking to hire an employee that you're not going to be, you know, it's, and it's, and it's very tiring to behavior modify. I can do it. Right. But I, yes. but I can't do it all the time. I'll be, I, it eventually drains my battery to, to behavior modify. And so, um, you want to hire the personality that fits the chair, the right personality for that chair, because you want their default to be designed that what, what is, you know, the person for the chair. Right. Uh, so you need a way to measure that. And I was the biggest hater on this, right? Like I'm very quantitative. I hate, and, and given, you know, and I thought I'm like, shit, dad taught me, you know, dad, yeah. dad taught me, uh, Myers Briggs when I was like nine years old, like, I'm pretty sure I'm quite familiar with personality surveys. And if there was a good one, like I'd have heard about it, but I hadn't. And I ended up kind of got, and, and I resisted for almost a year. I was being told by some peers in, in our mastermind and in real, in real investor roundtable about this tool. And I was the guy just digging my heels in being like, this is fluffy bullshit. I'm not going to waste my time on it. Mm-hmm. And eventually I just got told like, Hey Jack, you're screwing up right now. You need to just go do, just go through the testing and, you know, go through the training. And I go through these three days or two days, two days of training, and I come out the other side an absolute evangelist. Like <laughs> I've like I, I I shifted gears like you've never seen. You know, I, I was a, I'm a born again you know personality survey. What was it? What was it? What was that defining thing over that two days that you were like, oh wow, this stuff is is the real deal? Because you were, are a very you are a very logical, you know, math minded, quantitative guy. That's who yeah. you, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was because they because the the consultant had never met me before, had never met any of my people before, and he just starts he he starts he's at the front of the room, and he starts just describing our interpersonal relationships like he's got a video camera in my office. Describes the nature of our relationships together, the the specific nature of the kinds of conflicts that we have. The yeah. way that the different ways that we act, react to different situations, the frustration that I'm feeling about them, the frustration they're feeling about me, as if I had spent 40 hours a, a, on his couch, right? Like talking yeah. about this situation. I've, and I'm I've, like, 
This is crazy. Yeah. Like it was mind blowing. It was crazy. I've personally um, seen that Jack where I've been at, uh, <clears throat> seminars, um, and, uh, well, shout out to Mike McCloskey at, at uh, humanlytics. Uh, you know, I've seen him with perfect strangers talk about them after just looking at their initial results talking about them, their interpersonal relationships, their work relationships, their fulfillment in their position, as if he's known them all their lives. And frankly, I've seen him do it, I would say at least five or six dozen times with five or six dozen different total strangers. And I not once, not one time did I ever hear someone say, no, that's not really not me. He nailed it every single time. And I think that's really speaks to the validity of the, the validity of these assessments and why someone who is as logical and as quantitative as you must have looked at it and said, oh yeah, this is the real deal here. Yeah. So it, the biggest thing, and, and the biggest thing as an organization that we got out of it was a vocabulary to talk about the differences in mm. personality profile, different personality type. And so that that statement that I said before, that awful thing that I used to think, what's wrong with this person, was eliminated from the way that I think about people. Like they're not, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just different. And there's a specific quantitative way for me to describe how they are different from me. And so in that situation, I would react, I would have reacted differently because there was a way to finish the sentence. I had a, a quantitative way to finish that sentence. And so one, you can see the problem before it happens. You can see, you don't put that person in a, that position for them to, to for them to um, react in a way that you don't want them to. You you you, you should have known that they you would you will now know not to put them in that situation because you will get that result that other result that you don't want. Mm -hmm. So you can engineer. You can actually now engineer the machine that you're building, and. It's a, it's a weird kind of dark way to talk about it, frankly. Like there's lots of like, I also think there's lots of like just philosophical implications to this, but yeah. you can now design the machine that you're wanting to, that you want to build and you need a job description. You need, you know, you can build out the whole org chart that you want to build and you've got the job description to take care of all the systems and processes that we've documented, that we've already documented, right? So you know what you need them to do mm. and then you then... Envision, all right, given the nature of that job description, what's the human being, what's the personality profile of the person that I want in that chair? And then you go and you find that person. And it's much, it's impossible to train someone to be someone who they are not. You can teach somebody just about anything, but you cannot teach them to be a different personality. They yeah. are who they are. And so to deny that idea or to, to, you know, to, to rage against that idea is absolute futility. But if you just embrace it and you find the right human and then teach them what they need to know to go execute that position, we've had just materially increased you know, percentages of, of right person, right chair on the first try. Sure. Um, and, and, also it's, and then also it helps in terms of like intra- personal management, right? Because that's another difficult thing. Like once you get above like five people, culture ends up, then you need to really talk about culture because it, then it, it really matters. It's not just like the cult of personality of whoever the owner is, which it kind of can be up to that level. From that point forward, this machine's bigger than you. 
and you need to understand the you know the nature of the of all the the actors um and this gave us a way to really talk about that and try to design culture and to um to for you know to 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 see conflict before it actually you know before it happened and to then you know try to tweak things with in a much more um in a much more intentional way because we had a way to talk about it so if, anyway. yeah for those for those who are listening i i want to dive further into uh just maybe a couple of the personality types uh i don't even know if that's the right term but um just dive into a couple of those specifically jack in certain roles within the company that you've thought wow that that personality type really fits this role we're up against the clock on this episode so we can continue on the next episode jack where have the listeners tune in um, so we're going to finish up this episode right now, take a break, and then we'd invite you to come back for episode 28, which we're going to start in just a second. Just uh, click on that next link for episode 28 to continue the conversation on how we're planning to be better in 2024, some of the uh, tools uh, uh, and vendors that uh, are used here at Dominion to help grow the business. So we'll take a break on this episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one.